Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Academy, announcing the 24th of our Italian Wine Ambassador courses to be held in London, Austria, and Hong Kong from the 27th to the 29th of July. Are you up for the challenge of this demanding course? Do you want to be the next Italian Wine Ambassador? Learn more and apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Polly Hammond, and you are listening to Uncorked, the Italian wine podcast series about all things marketing and communication. Join me each week for candid conversations with experts from within and beyond the wine world as we explore what it takes to build a profitable business in today's constantly shifting environment. Today, we welcome Liz Clément, director of Bodega Clément, her family's vineyards and winery in Mendoza, Argentina. Before she took the reins of the wine business, Liz served as marketing and communication manager for Wines of Argentina, where she created World Malbec Day. She led a guerrilla marketing strategy to launch an engaging bag and box brand and founded Foster Newton, her own successful wine marketing agency. As you can imagine, I am super excited to talk with Liz. Let's get into it. Welcome, Liz. I'm I'm really excited to have you here today. You and I met in November at the Bulk Wine Fair in Amsterdam. And the thing that so much impressed me about you is that you just weren't boring. Like I I was in this room full of people, I'm sorry to say, but I was in this room full of people where so many of them you know, we're just, they weren't exciting and they weren't dynamic. And I had a chance to talk with you and your winemaker and see the wines and hear about some of the stuff that you're doing. And there just was not a single bit of boringness anywhere. And I've been wanting to have you on since then. So thank you for being here. No, thank you, Polly. Thank you. Um, the thing is, I, I think it's because I get bored <laughs> and uh, I mean, like I see, uh, I'm, I, I have a quite a long background in the wine industry. I have been working in the wine industry for more than 20 years now. And I have gone through all the process, you know, like being in love with wine and then like trying to see some different things and trying to 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 shake things up a little bit because all like sometimes can be so classic, so classic. I mean, in terms of marketing communications, you have the winemaker, the grape, the vineyard, the awards and recognitions and the winery. And then, then that's it, you know, like the, the value proposition doesn't change from, from those things. And in term, in Argentina, it's almost like everything is Malbec. Everything is Malbec from one specific region and everything is Malbec from Mendoza. And then, a few awards and recognitions, and you can stop counting there. And the thing is that I love innovation. I love uh, exciting new things. And I try to put that, of course, in my product. So thank you for that. I, I'm glad that it, it shows, you know, like... It, it comes yeah. through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and And also, I mean, you know, again, I'm going to get myself in trouble with the bulk wine producers on this one, but... 
you were one of the only women in the room leading your stand, which was yeah. something else that I really remarked upon in that space. Um, and, and it has been pointed out to be a few times that I might have a preponderance of women on my podcast and I am completely okay with that. Yeah. So, um, so just for everyone who isn't familiar with the brand, Give us a little bit of the lowdown mm -hmm. on um, Bodega Clément, yes. you know, what it is, where you guys are, a little bit of the history, and then we can kind of dig into some of the interesting things that you're doing. Yes. Uh, so our company was born when my father uh, bought a few uh, plain land in, in, the, in Eastern Mendoza 23 years ago. Uh, he actually he was planning it to be his retirement uh, plan. But you see him now, he's 73 years old and he's, he's more active than ever. He's like super excited, full of hopes and dreams. So it's not kind of a retirement per se. Actually, it's, uh, it's a company that's full growing. Uh, so 23 years ago, my father planted the first vineyards in the eastern side part of Mendoza. Now we have 260 hectares of, uh, under vine, and we mainly focus on uh, red varieties. We, we do have uh, some uh, white variety, orange and orange wine, but the focus is on, on reds, uh, mainly because of the wines that we could produce in that, that region of Mendoza. And we, yeah, last year, we uh, started our first steps as uh, winemakers because we were selling the grapes. We were selling the grapes to these uh, very high quality vineyard uh, wineries in Mendoza. And after 23 years, we said, okay, maybe it's time that we produce the wine. And wow. uh, it came, it came, uh, it came to be something very familiar because uh, you said our winemaker, he's a young winemaker, and that he has um, ha has won this recognition of um, uh, sorry, <laughs> Revelation Winemaker of the Year by Patricio Tapia, the the Scorchados Guide, which is very important in South America. He's twenty six years old, and he's my cousin. So it came to be something very natural and organic for us to be in the Sunday pasta and to, to start thinking and dreaming about um, producing our wines. And we bought a winery last year, 2021. Not a small one either. No, <laughs> no, no. no, didn't, no. Didn't, didn't edge your way into this, did you? Yeah, no, no, no. Um, it was an opportunity. It was a, a winery that has been inactive for ten years, and it was um, it was like a like a jewel to find in 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 the region where we are in. It's a hundred years old, so it's like it's it's a and it's ten million liters uh, capacity. So wow, yes, so it's since it has an old structure, um, we have tanks of 1 million liter. <laughs> uh, now we are um, uh, dividing all the, the all the tanks because of course we want to make quality. And so with a 1 mil million liter tank, it's not that easy. And now the bet is to, to, um, to crush the wines on the 2023 harvest there and to, to keep growing 
we have uh, we have a portfolio of a bottled wine. They are called Finca Feliz, and mm-hmm. we try to do something very different from the the the, the Malbec, the the origin not original but traditional Malbecs that mm. you may be uh, used to drinking. That, that people associate with Argentina. I actually want to come back to the wine brand. Um, but first, I kind of want to back up because, um, you know, when I was doing my research, I already knew about the work that you're doing with the winery there. But then I started finding these little things that were super interesting. So, okay. The big thing that's get out of the way is even though you say everybody here is Argentina and they think Malbec, <laughs> you actually played a little bit of a part in that or maybe a not so little bit of a part in that. Um, yeah. You were the you were in charge of marketing and communications yeah. for the wines of Argentina. Yeah. And during your tenure there, you launched a very tiny little thing called World Malbec Day. Yes. Yes, well, I was a uh, marketing and communications manager in Wines of Argentina. And of course, my job was to promote uh, Argentine brands, uh, wines abroad and to Malbec is our, our flag, of course, everybody knows. And yeah, back then uh, in 2010, when I started to, to develop the project, you know, uh, the days, the celebration days for a brand or for a product weren't as popular as now. I mean, like, I don't know how it, I mean, like, I reckon it's worldwide, but every, every day you hear on the radio, today's hamburger day, today is, you know, but maybe back then it wasn't as popular. And so I, I developed a project to celebrate, um, Malberg worldwide and, I think it it became to be a successful, a very successful platform for marketers to promote uh, not only Malbec but Argentine wine itself. And uh, we, I, I remember when we started it, uh, we were seeing increase in sales very, very rapid, very quickly. Really? So you could actually measure that it was being effective, which I think is one of the things that a lot of times now, um, and and sometimes it's because it's smaller regions or even brands, you know, who are trying to launch these sort of worldwide campaigns. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to gain the data and understand if it's got any success rate other than just chatter, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so that's that's interesting. So you were able to track that, yes. which obviously as a marketer yes. makes you very happy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, we, we we worked with uh, with different chains, for instance, um, Wade Rose, uh, specifically in the UK. And the sales, I, I mean, like one specific sam- example, of course, of Argentine wine overall grew um, in, in a term, in a period of one year by 70% uh, in one month. Uh, wow. So compared April, April 2011, 2012, it, they grew uh, 70%. So yeah, I mean, like as marketer, of course, it's your dream <laughs> to be able to create something that actually has a proper impact on sales because Yes, one of the I think one of the um, the problems as as marketers or as communication communicators we have is actually to see that our ideas have a 
truly impact on sales because when we do a communication plan, most most of the cases or in many cases we say like this is to build brand. And mm-hmm. companies look at us like, okay, but uh, can you? Mm, Where's the money? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, it's a long run bet. Yeah, I know that. But yeah, so with Malbec World Day, what what uh, I could actually see is the true impact on sales and to be able to contribute to a larger uh, thing for our, for our local economy, you know, like for our region, sure. for our producers. Um, to the, give them a tool that actually worked uh, and continues yeah. to work for them, you know, because it, it has been there for so long. So I, I know that you, um, so coming from the very traditional Malbec promotion space, one of the things that I read you were really interested in was actually this notion of conveying in under separate campaigns, the contemporary side of Argentine wines, because yeah. as you say, people think, you know, Argentina, Mendoza, Malbec. Yeah. But there's a lot more going on yeah. with that. Yeah. Was that something that you were able to do while you were at Wines of Argentina, or did you actually have to leave the regional establishment to be able to undertake, you know, non-traditional communication and marketing? Yeah, well, um, after working at Wines of Argentina, I worked for a period, brief period at Peñaflor Group. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know, Peñaflor Group is Argentina's largest uh, wine group. It's the fifth in the world. Uh, it has brands such as Trapiche, Finca Las Moras, Bodega Lesteco. They, they are huge. They represent 20% of, of uh, the, our whole export market. And I... I was coming from Wines of Argentina. I could do very team, not very innovative things because it was a dynamic organization and it was small. So I, I, I could, I feel I could really make an impact when I worked at uh, Peña Flor Group. I, I found that bureaucracy and maybe the, um, a more corporate style of, of winery. Uh, didn't allow me to actually explore innovative, truly innovative ideas. Uh, so I found that uh, the the company itself didn't allow me to explore uh, innovation, which is what I'm, I'm I'm most most interested in. But after that, I started my own wine marketing agency. I had it for five years, and I worked with amazing projects like for wines of Patagonia, which was a, a, a truly a, a challenge, and it was amazing because I could see all the wineries that are in the in the Patagonia region, uh, some very very new and cutting edge, and some very very old, 150 years old, which is for Argentina it's quite a lot. Uh, and in the in the agency, I tried to push as much as I can, I, I could innovation and new ideas. But what I again I found is that wine producers are still very traditional and classic. And it's very hard to move from the, um, the, the, the starter pack or the classical pack of, uh, you don't move from, this is the wine. This is how this, things are done. Exactly. Right? This, this is, is the, the wine. To... This is the region. This is the grape. Yeah. This is the winemaker. And, um, yeah, I mean, like it was a very interesting stage of my career um, to have uh, lots and lots of clients. Like 
we are colleagues, Polly, you, you are doing the same I thing. I know. This is why I'm so glad to talk with you. And, and I will say what's super interesting for me to hear from you, because I don't really have, um, I, I don't know if you feel the same way. I don't really have that many colleagues who do the same thing that I do and kind of work the same way that we do. And um, we learned the hard way that we don't take corporate clients because every time mm-hmm. we've ever had a corporate client, mm-hmm. the uh, sort of like up down of decision making, you know, the decision making tree is so multi layered. You can never get anything across the line. You know, the you can't you can't do anything that breaks the mold because they have so much structure in place. It's just, you know, set in stone. Um, and then when we, when I started my business, because I was just like you, I was looking at wine and I was like, wow, a lot of this is so same, same. We actually from day one have just said to people, you know what, if you want traditional wine marketing, we're not your people. Mm -hmm. We'll happily direct you to someone else who is because it's, I mean, some of it is you look at it and you're like, this isn't going to work. But then the other part of it is, it's just fucking boring. Like as the marketer, you know, because if you've got one brand, you're working with one brand. If you're an agency, you're working with two dozen brands at a time. And if they're all doing the same thing. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. But you actually practice what you preach. So a a couple things. You launched a bag and box wine. Yes. Back in the day before we were all harping on alternative packaging. And I, so your Instagram and Facebook account for the Hollywood wine is still online and it is young and it's vibrant. And there's like a picture of Catherine Zeta-Jones with stars over her nipples, you know, things like that. And I'm just looking at this and I'm thinking, oh my God, this was, this was really before there were a lot of people looking at wine this way. So tell me a little bit about that project. Well, as as I was, uh, I I was telling you, I, I was working in the wine, in the in my agency and I was proposing new ideas for many, many clients and they were rejecting them all. Um, so I was like, come on guys, you know, like you, please. And then I said, like, okay, I'm done with it. I'm, I, I am going to do it. Of course I had the vineyards of my family so I could sort the wine. And I said like, okay, I'm going to break every single code I can. And nice. Yes. So Hollywood for me was um, to, to, to set something completely new from, from the ground. And I, I, yeah, I tried to break every single code from, from, from the beginning. I didn't put uh, Malbec on the, on the label, even though I could do it, but I decided purposely, purposely not to do it. So the the brand and, and the packaging, if you see the packaging, it's just a plain white uh, little box that says Hollywood and says Vino Tinto, red wine. Mm. And I wanted people to know that actually you didn't need all the 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 heavy bottle and the um, stamping label and all this like a lot of uh, quality signs maybe that you use the in hands the wine. Grapes in the exactly. Yes. So my, I wanted to to come through with a very clear message. You really don't need all those things to drink a great wine. Uh, so um, it was 
I, in my, my days, back in my days in front, from Wines of Argentina and Peña Flor, I knew really well how to um, create uh, a love brand. You know, like, the, mm. what, do you, what did you need to create a love brand? Uh, so I actually, I think I was successful because people, you know, like, well, these uh, measurements you use, right? Like organic followers, organic messages, like um, uh, people commenting it on social media. Like it really created a, a strong buzz within Argentina. Uh, people were looking at the, at the product and, uh, you know, like people, I remember seeing like, uh, people using our our campaign uh posters as background on their cell phones and i oh. and i was like what like show me your wow you know like those things are awesome. that's awesome yeah yes uh because we did like this um it's called guerrilla marketing i don't know how it is Guer- yes guerrilla marketing guerrilla marketing yep um uh, with four different stages so we were like breaking all the codes uh but, <laughs> but there's always a but, um, I found that to move volume in Argentina, again, uh, you, well, you have to be whether a very, very, very large company, um, at least for Argentine standards or, uh, the investment had to be way, way, way more mm. to sustain, uh, at least a bagging box, uh, wine. So the bagging box itself was very Do you think that that would be different now? Sort of with the proliferation of alternative packaging and the interest in bag and box. Like if you went out with that today, post-COVID, there's been an uptick in domestic sales is my understanding in Argentina. And yeah. we're all worried about climate change. Yeah. Um, do you think that that would shift or do you think it still yes. would be just as hard? Yes. Um I think yes. I'm actually I'm I'm thinking on relaunching it. Uh, okay. Yes. So you know one of the things that interests me, and I'll I'll put a link to the Hollywood Instagram account in the podcast description. Is that we as marketers are so vilified mm. in wine. Like the wine world wants to blame the marketers for every bad decision that gets made. And I really like the fact that you went out with something that any marketer, like a good marketer would look at it and be like, yeah, mm. I understand exactly why she did that. Because it was, it was super minimal. It's a white box with black writing on the side of it. There's none of the tropes that get blamed on marketers. And I, I looked at it and I was like, this is, this is an example of how a marketer would test the concept yes. to prove that it, that it could be done. Um, and that's really what made that stand out to me is I was like, yeah, I totally understand that. And also you yourself are super creative. So it's not like you didn't have any ideas to do, you know, it was, this is an intentional, um, business decision yes. to go out yes. See, with something yes, that looks like at that. At the moment, uh, there was a huge marketing trend called, uh, Normcore. Uh, it was yes. it came from the fashion industry, right? And it also, you know, like when, when I had the agency, I had, um, six, seven, seven employees, all of them were millennials or centennials. Uh, so I had like, I had like this 
tiny focus group every single day in my office. And I was seeing like the way they behave, the way that they, they, what music they like, what they consume, like, and I had like this, I thought it was a very, it, it was a active thing to analyze and to use. Yeah. Uh, so I had this amazing group of creative people with me and they inspired me to go with, with, with the thing. And I mean, like, what I think is that what, what I would have loved to, to, to have done there is to be able to launch, um, I was working on a can of, uh, sparkling, uh, Hollywood. And actually we did some tests and went really, really well. But I found the wall of the industry for my personal life. I had to go, I, I moved to, to the UK. So I, I actually changed lots of things in my life. So I couldn't, uh, continue with the project, but, um, it was, I think it was groundbreaking. It made a lot of noise within Argentina and my dream is to, uh, yeah, to give it life back To go again. there again. Yes, yes. So was it at about the same time and with your millennial crew that you, um, that you launched Wine Beats? Uh, yes. So before so that. So tell me about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested. Yes. So Wine Beats was, um, we, we picked the best wineries with the best settings of Mendoza and we did uh, music parties in the wineries, bringing all the youngsters and the young people and musicians Jeez. to the wineries and musicians of high, high, like, um, I don't know, high end musicians, sorry for my English. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they came, they came from Chile. They came, we, we brought bands from Chile, from Peru, from, from Brazil, from Buenos Aires to, to come and play in the wineries with amazing settings. So of course you, you had, uh, people like young people drinking wine in your winery with, uh, I don't know, a band like Coiffer, which is an amazing band here. And we tried to shake things up in the wine world again, um, to bring young, young people to the scene, to the wine scene. And wineries love that because, um, we, we deliver the full package of creativity, music, mm. PR, uh, public relations, press, um, content for social media. Uh, so we did like this, this was a product for the, for the winery. So you want to have an amazing PR stand. I don't know if you say that, but like, but, yeah. but you, you had it like with wine beats. So we did wow. 10, um, 10 of these events in wineries in different in settings that are, are like dreamy. And after that, um, several projects started coming. Um, I remember one, one that was wine groove groove, and it was like the same thing. And I was like, okay, uh, try to be oh, more creative. Yes. <laughs> you know, flattery. Yeah. There you go. Imitation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it never really <laughs> makes you feel that good when you see it. I, I, I heard that yeah. often enough. So I have, I'm like you, I'm the oldest person on my team and the, I say all the time, you know, I've been a real advocate for um, better recognition and representation of people who are younger than Gen X in wine. Um, and 
The thing that I notice makes the biggest difference uh, in my brand, it sounds like in yours, and then in the wine companies that we work with is actually hiring those people. Like having those people in the room with you or in a remote space, you know, with you where they are contributing to the marketing and communication. And they are like your own little focus group. They can say, you know, the yes, no, pass or fail test on it. And, and too often, and I do think that this is kind of a European, especially a Napa thing. What you end up with is a bunch of you know, 55 year old men sitting around a table being like, what would millennials like? Instead of just going out and saying, well, how about we just get some millennials Uh, and ask what they would like? Yes. There's a video, there's a video on YouTube that I sometimes share in classes. Um, that is like the classical millennial ad that, uh, ex like, or boomers marketers think that what is what millennials like it's it's hilarious it's it's ridiculous but i understand that my time at one once upon a day in our peña floor group my bosses were obsessed with millennials they were obsessed mm. they were like confused they were like we have to understand them we have to and they were they didn't at the end of the day they didn't it was the 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 ads that we we could produce at the end of the day, were their idea of what a millennial was and what they could like, but it was like so forced. You could see like it it wasn't going to work. It was like this. They were confused millennials with hipsters and with specific kind of, you know, like the beard and, and the, yeah. the glasses. So it was like a repetition of a repetition. And I was, I was bored of, of that as well. I mean, I don't know if it's bored. It's a word. The word. It's like I was like, yeah, it's uninspiring. You not, yeah, you are not going to yeah you to create a brand with that. I mean, like yeah, I understand. It's like how people maybe look now, but that doesn't have to do anything with actually behaviors or uh, true interest or uh, or yeah, behaviors like cons- how yeah. they consume wine. I remember I went. Um, to um, here, it, it was a very famous like party in in Mendoza. It was called uh, Club del Sodiado. Sodiado here in Argentina is uh, uh, wine with sparkling wine with soda. We call it soda. And youngsters were uh, drinking wine with soda or with with sparkling with water. And youngsters were dancing cumbia and reggaeton and drinking wine. And I was like. You have, there's something going on here, you know, like, because I spent so many years uh, working at wineries and they were saying, we have to appeal to young consumers. We have to appeal to young consumers because young consumers are the future and uh, nobody's drinking wine. In the, we have to make the wine appeal for them. Right, right. And I was watching this and I was like, you have something going on here. You have to um, be inside what what was really happening, not in your office thinking that a millennial is a hipster and has a beard and a must and weird mustache. So I tried with Hollywood. I was, I was like, okay, you don't want to do it. I will do it. Um, yes. So, and now, and now you have control of the family's brands. (laughs) So here's, you know, right off the bat, 
we've got a marketer running a successful wine brand. So my first question is, how does that brain, that marketing brain, how is the experience as a marketer leading a wine brand or a wine business different from so many of the examples that you and I have just talked about? How are you looking at things differently? How are you embracing things like short-term versus long-term return on marketing spend? Um, yeah. So, so just tell me a little bit about that. It's certainly the most, uh, uh, important challenge of my life and my my career. Uh, I have 50 people that I have to take care of. Um, and what I see in terms of marketing and, and our offer is that I, I still want to do things differently. And I, I want to, I want to show the world what we can do. And it doesn't necessarily have to be aligned with what the market expects us to have. So, uh, again, when you go abroad and you see Argentina is only Malbec and it's, it's not only boring. I mean, like you could say it's boring, but it doesn't even matter if it's going to sell well. Right. But it's not very differentiated. Like if we're getting into some of the marketing language, how are you going to sit at, at stand out in a marketplace when exactly. you're doing the exact same thing as all of your neighbors? So now my my big my big challenge. I mean, like for me, my dream is to um, to see our criolla, the criolla or the criolla, mm -hmm. uh, stand out, stand out as a as an as a important figure of of Argentine wine. So maybe it's like what Catena did 40, 30 years ago with Malbec. And now we are starting to do it with Criolla. So Criolla uh, for the, yeah, Criolla is, uh, is the missionary grape, the, the Uva Pais in Chile here is called Criolla. Um, Criolla Chica is the first, uh, grape that uh, came to, to, to America from Spain. The, the grape that um, the, the uh, priests use for the mass. Mm -hmm. And for many, many, many years, this grape was considered low quality, low quality wines, uh, volume wines uh, only for bulk. But now we are producing it with much, much more care and technology and style, different style, fresh. We're trying to do some, like our little Pinot Noir, I like to say, and, you know, like we have so many hectares, so like we, we have more Criolla than we have Malbec planted in Argentina. We well, that was the thing that stood out when I, when I met you at the bulk wine fair, because everyone is there with their bulk wines and you're like, wait, we actually have some finished wines as well. Yes. Let's go through them. And I tried it and I remember turning around to your, um, winemaker and saying, is this your response to all of the other Criolla in the room? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, like it is, it's a very mindful um, direction yes. to go yes. with, with the production and with the bottling. And yeah, with, so, with, with the bottles of, um, well, Finca Feliz, which is uh, um, my new brand of bottles, um, we didn't actually... Was that, that your we, baby? Did, did you get to create yes. that when you came on board as the director? Yes. Nice. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, so we didn't we didn't produce any Malbec 
first vintage. Now we are producing a Malbec, but it's organic, and I'm calling it Malbec Ecologico. Um, because it's 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 bigger than only organic, right? It's like I want to show that it's 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 also the people, it's the animals that live uh, in, in the vineyard. It's it's much more than only organic. Wow. But yeah, I didn't want to start with like the 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 old suspect, which is Malbec. So we did a criolla, we did an orange of Pedro Jimenez. Pedro Jimenez also, at least here in Argentina, is a grape that you can. Maybe asking an, a winemaker, and he was like, eh, "I don't, I'm not so sure about it." But the way we produce it, like very traditional, ancient style, uh, it has it has uh, given us fresh, super fruity wines, a floral. And that's nose. your amphora wine, right? Uh, Isn't yes. that an amphora wine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've got an orange wine. Yes. An orange amphora wine <laughs> yes. coming out of Mendoza. Right? So yes. we're just we're just blowing away <laughs> stereotypes. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Blowing away stereotypes. And a bonarda, our red. That from our region, bonardas are super juicy, super fresh, concentrated in in in, in colors, but not as much as in, in the mouth. It's lighter. It's fresh. It's a very nice red. So. I tried to say like, okay, you know, like I, sometimes I, I, I like to go against the flow. Uh, I think you get better results there. Uh, so I will go against the flow. I think that's my, my nature and going against the flow is like, okay, are you, do you want to go to, I don't know, Altamira or to a very high place in the mountain to make Malbec? Okay. I will go to the desert and make a Criolla. Yeah. And I and make more money with it. <laughs> we we marketers are just contrarians. Yes. Is what it is. <laughs> yes. We're like, I'm just gonna show you that it can be done and it can be done successfully. Yes. Um so some of um some of my research was showing that Argentina had a huge spike in domestic sales yes. during COVID lockdown. Mm -hmm. Do you sell domestically as well as internationally? Yes. So where are your markets? Um, so now uh, um, for uh, for bulk wine is Argentina and Sweden. I mean, for bottles as well. So the fir our first client for the bottles was uh, from, we from Sweden. We had him on Saturday. He came wow. visiting us. And now we are... Sweden yes. was your first market. My first Me. market. Yes, I know. <laughs> you know, like for market, it's like in Sweden, it's innovation, it's design, it's art. Uh, they, they, they know what to do. So I was quite uh, honored to have our first client from Sweden and he, he, he came to visit us this weekend and to Brazil as well. So, so Brazil, um, they love the, they, they love the Criolla because it's light, it's a light red, it's light, it's fresh. Uh, so you don't have to push something that is bolder. Mm. And so it's, it's more heavier style. So yeah, it, it makes sense that at least for, I mean, like the kind of um, labels that we're working with in, in Finca Feliz, Sweden and Brazil are our first mm. clients. Um, and yeah, and, and of, of I'll, put the link, like I said, <laughs> I'll put the link in the, in the description because the labels stand out and the labels would look great on alternative packaging too. 
you know, yeah, just, no, just saying, just saying. <laughs> I know. Um, how do you, uh, if you can talk about it, how do you mitigate the external factors that you deal with? Uh, oh. I'm assuming as an Argentinian wine oh. producer, you you, uh, you wouldn't imagine like how hard it is oh. to make business in Argentina. Like the, it's like um, a machine of impediments, uh, basically. So oh. everything you do is, uh, of course, taxed. Like you have taxes, you you. You do a step one way, you have a tax. You do a step the other day, you have a tax. A yeah. tax so heavily, very heavily taxed, and not that easy to make business when you have uh, low access to to credits, um, to to loans, to to of course mm-hmm. make your your business grow. But on the other side, you have very t- uh, very um, high good quality of human resources here in Argentina, so um, people are. Um, quite well educated and you have like maybe cheap human resources uh, to make your business right. grow. Uh, but it's still like uh, much more harder than to, to make business. I mean, I mean, let's at least for our country, our neighbor, Chile, for instance, Chile has m- a more open economy and it's easier for them to at least be entrepreneurs, but I cannot complain. I mean, like it's, it's definitely harder um, most of all tax wise, but Hey, I mean, like it's, it's, it's interesting. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of these things that the longer I'm in wine and the more that I learn it, it's like every area has their own natural disaster. But in fact, what we get in wine is that every area has their, impediment external factor, whether it's shipping and regulation, whether it's currency fluctuations and political instability, whether it's completely entrenched sales systems, you know, like, and we all think whatever we have is the hardest that anybody else in the whole yes, wide world I know. deals with. Yes. Um, I, I go through it. I go through it with clients where it's like the most boring part of the marketing strategy work, but I make them sit there over a course of days and go through all of the external factors, right, that can uh, impact their business. And I always say, if you can get through sort of these three days and still be willing to go forward in wine, you're probably pretty good, but it's the not doing it and not seeing that, oh, look, you're going to have the problems in your domestic market. But then if you try to be an exporter, you're also going to experience all the problems in all of those other markets as well. I mean, yes. I, um, yeah, I, I I feel for the wine industry and any, and this is why I'm really enjoying talking to you because People have said to me, oh, would you want to produce your own wine brand? And I'm always yeah. like, not yeah. a ghost chance in hell, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. I'm perfectly happy helping everybody else with theirs. How, so how do you find yeah. your, I mean, if I can ask you, like how, yeah, of course, how, how do you find working um, with, I'm interested on your side of the innovation, uh, innovation projects that you can, you can pitch to your clients. Mm. How, how do you, leave? how do I, what are my experiences? Yeah, with your experience, like the feedback of the clients basically. Um, okay. So there were some interesting things. So I've been doing this for seven years now with five forest and things that I wouldn't have predicted. Um, 
the most innovative, adaptable, like the agile brands, the brands who absolutely kicked ass through COVID, they were all women led. I would never have predicted that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And yeah. And I think a lot of it had to do with that, that willingness as a female leader to just jump in and say, yes, we're going to try something or yes, we're going to do it. Uh, and there were at the time some larger corporate brands or a lot of smaller brands. Most of them are what I would describe as like mid-sized American brands, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but still independently owned. So that was a really big surprise. Um, the other things that I've noticed, like I said, having young people on your team, on your decision-making team, or being a parent to Gen Zers, mm-hmm. um, especially Gen Zers who are somewhere around drinking age, mm-hmm. that makes a huge difference in their willingness to listen and consider possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I notice is risk aversion. Mm-hmm. So if a brand is highly risk averse, I just know from the very beginning that it's going to be really hard to ever make any headway because, you know, some of it is the short termism. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and this is actually, we can talk about this. So, uh, I'm going to go into geeky marketing talk. I apologize to everyone Mm -hmm. who's listening. Um, I get to talk to a marketer, so I'm going to do it. (laughs) So what, what's being predicted is that in the digital marketing space, we're moving toward a cookie list internet or a privacy based internet. And I actually am so excited about it because what it means is that people who are good creative marketers and do their strategy and, you know, like understand proper marketing, not like I'm a social media poster, therefore I'm a marketer sort of thing, Mm -hmm. um, can go back to doing our jobs in a long-term creative brand growth kind of way. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm like, you know, I, I know that it's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of adapting, but we, we've been encumbered by this need for really rapid demonstration of returns. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I just, I, I find that that is hindering a lot of creativity mm-hmm. in our marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing is that if we are not um, fast enough or good enough changing the way we communicate, uh, well, we are seeing it a bit of like beer and RTDs and aperitivos and uh, we'll... They're all kicking around. I mean, like, it's not... If if you don't really transform yourself, you are not going to be... uh, to be alive <laughs> in four years. Uh, so is that something that as you lead, as you lead the brand that you're looking at? So, at, you know, coming from this strong marketing background, are you saying, okay, here's what's happening right now, but I'm paying more attention to what I think is going to be happening in three, five, seven years down the line? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, in, in terms of the styles we produce, in terms of the, of the, our investments in production, um uh yeah i mean like, oh, i i wine is going is it's part of our culture it's not going to 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 die anywhere but um maybe lots of projects that um are are not 
seeing that what where the market goes will. Um, and of course, a, a concentration of the business. Uh, I mean, like uh, scale wise and production wise here in Eastern Mendoza, you have maybe 80% of the producers are uh, have uh, vineyards of less than five hectares. Uh, so you, you, they'll have to move fast. Otherwise, they will lose their business. And you see nowadays, you go to Eastern Mendoza and you see lots of vineyards dying. And it, That's sad. Yes, lots of vineyards. Like old vineyards dry, dry you know, like you see them like yeah. dying there. And it's an it's a transformation of it's a huge transformation of the industry. What it what it really really people lacks here it's a market um, perspective. It's a true market international it's not just market there. perspective. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's true. No, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't make that sweeping statement because I don't I don't think that's true. But I do think, and it's nice you started earlier in this conversation talking about some of the things that you've done and some that worked well, but also things that didn't work well. Mm -hmm. And what's really refreshing about that is that I notice it's so hard for our industry to talk about the things that we've tried that don't work. You know, we don't get case studies the way that tech and SaaS companies, they'll put their case studies up all over the place and you can see the successes and failures and it's very public, but we don't talk about that a lot in wine. And so we can't, we can't learn from it in a way that, you know, that notion of rising tide lifts all boats. We're all sort of building upward together. Yeah. Um, the end of and the day, that, it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's an agriculture um, business and agriculturists are very rustic people. I'm, I'm not saying it in a, in a wrong way. I mean, like you have to take care of the plant, but yeah, but, but yeah. In some part of Look, your, I head. can't, I can't keep a houseplant alive. So, like, I, I have a ton of respect for it. I, I think this notion, and I actually think it's one of the worst things that I see happening in, uh, in the internet era, is that we're expected as business people to know how to do everything. So, a small producer is expected to know how to be oh. a marketer and a salesperson hey. and a distributor and an e-commerce this and a communicator hey. and a storyteller and a photographer, <laughs> and it's just. You know, when when you ask who are the people who are doing great innovative things, um, a lot of it really does come down to money. Mm -hmm. It comes down to a willingness to spend, and, and nobody wants to hear that. I and mean, nobody ever wants to talk about money. Yeah, but yeah, you know, but, it makes a, it makes a huge difference. yeah. But again, like if, uh, I think, in the head of every wine producer, uh, should be at least I don't know. 10, 50%, not, I mean, like you have to think of fertilizers. You have to be, think of, uh, I don't know, um, a press, <laughs> you have barrels, and, yeah, but, but you have, yeah. I mean, of course, you know, I mean, when I started studying, I remember it like being the challenge of every marketer to, 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 pro, to really, uh, transmit the importance, but it's not only because, of course, we want to do nice things, and because it's just for the survival of your own business. So now more than ever, now more than ever, you have to think of the market, market trends, because in five years, ten years, you won't be able to sustain your vineyard if you're not looking to the market. 
So that is a very tidy segue <laughs> with your fabulous new gigantic winery <laughs> location um, and and your rescued vines and your natural wines, sort of what's next? What is the next boundary that you are pushing this? <laughs> Sustainability. I mean, like I... I really, really believe in sustainability, not only because of the business, because of the way I live. And when I say sustainability, it's much more than just uh, a green label on the on the on the packaging. It's taking care of um, of our of the lives of the people who work with you, like the plant, the animals that live there, uh, and mainly the people. I'm 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 really uh, interested in giving our people a very better quality of life, a best a, the best life that they can live they can have. So for me, is um, making things grow much for the sake of seeing seeing things grow uh, in a, maybe a romantic way of saying you know like but happy people. I want to work with happy people. I want to have with I work with healthy people with healthy environment. Uh, of course, our we are converting our our uh, vineyards to organic, and we are applying to the sustainability protocols and the certification and the fair trade certification. Of course, we are doing that, but we are not doing that because I mean it's a part, but for the business sake of it, but for the people, <laughs> for the people and the land and the animals. So that I, my challenge is to to avoid every greenwashing thing that can happen within the company, but to truly, truly make it for the land. That's that's awesome, and you know what? That's such a good, tangible goal to work toward. I I can one hundred percent get behind that. Liz, thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving me an hour of your time. Thank you, Polly. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. And a great big thank you to Liz for joining us today. The Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with daily episodes. Tune in each day and discover all our different shows. Be sure to join us next Sunday for another look at the world of wine marketing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast brought to you by Vinitaly Academy home of the gold standard of Italian wine education. Do you want to be the next ambassador? Apply online at vinitaliinternational.com for courses in London, Austria, and Hong Kong, the 27th to the 29th of July. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. Hi guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.